is dropped, and it's showtime from downtown Winnipeg. Moxley's pass, a shot, they score! Shankly Cutter scores! What a stop by Hellebach! Nikolai Ehlers on the faceoff! Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets, hosted by Jets TV. Well, good day and welcome back to Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. I'm your host, Tyler Esquivel, joined as always by Jets TV's Mitchell Clinton and 680 CJOB's Paul Edmonds, the play-by-play voice of your Winnipeg Jets. Uh, we got a great episode here for you this week. Uh, lots to talk about as the Winnipeg Jets finally got on the ice for some games. Great. Three of them, in fact, on the road. We'll talk about those. Uh, like we said earlier, there was tons of practice, so... How did that practice apply to the games? Paul Edmonds will give us the scoop on that. Cole Perfetti also got some game action in Denver. Uh, Mitchell will discuss that. And then uh, sort of a, a classic question when you're finding yourself in the situation where you're practicing more than you're playing, how do you guard against rust? So we'll talk about that. You'll hear from our guest, who Jamie Thomas will sit down with a little later. Uh, and then we'll talk about the week ahead for the Winnipeg Jets. One game on the schedule with Detroit uh, being the team the Jets will play. And then we'll close things off with a little discussion on special teams, power play, and penalty kill. Sort of a state of the union, if you will. But first, we'll go to Mitchell. Uh, Let's talk about the week that was for the Winnipeg Jets, the three-game road trip in Vegas, Arizona, and Colorado. All in all, I'd say uh, when you're looking at road trips on the schedule and you're circling things, two out of three is probably where you want to be. You want to get three of three, of course, but two of three, not so bad. Yeah, and I mean, first off, crazy that Kyle Connor gets the overtime winner on January 2nd in Vegas and was also the guy that got it November 2nd, 2019, also in Vegas, the last two times the Jets have played there. So that game was pretty much exactly what you would expect in terms of momentum, especially some rust early on. Then, you know, the Jets find their legs. They rattle off four unanswered goals. And then a really good pushback from a really good team in Vegas. So the Jets did well to handle that, pick up a big win to uh, to start the road trip, especially after Vegas tied it with eight seconds to go. That can be uh, a little bit of a gut punch, but the Jets really kind of turned it on in overtime and a great move by Kyle Connor. Always worth going back to watch that highlight. Then you go into Arizona, and, uh, well, Vimelka continues to his highlight reel saves against you. Uh, you put up a season high in shots on goal with 49, and then you still come up with that 3-1 win. So nothing really came easy that night. A nice goal from Evgeny Svechnikov back in, in his return from, from his injury. So that was nice to see another power play goal from Pierre-Luc Dubois. And then you hang on late. So a uh, nice victory there. And then, you know, Colorado, obviously the Jets got off to a good start with Mark Scheifele's power play goal. And then Colorado kind of took the game over from there. I mean, not having Dylan DeMello, Jansen Harkins also out of the lineup due to COVID-19 protocol, again, but specifically not having Dylan DeMello on your back end against an offensively skilled team like Colorado is a challenge. But I think the Jets had their opening openings in that game. You know, like there's a three-on-one that doesn't go for you, so there's that one. But you also have a run of four straight power plays from about the midway point of the second period into the midway mark of the third period. And that kind of offered up an opportunity that the Jets weren't able to capitalize on. So as good as the power play's been over the last little stretch, just weren't able to, to get them when they really needed them against the Colorado Avalanche. So I think lots to like there on that road trip. As you said, you get you get two out of three. That's You'll, you'll take that every single time on the road, uh, but certainly lots to work on as well. I just wanted to add something to that, if I can, before we get into oh, a little bit of the topic here. And, and Mitchell's right. I mean, and so are you. Two out of three is not bad. And when you look at that Colorado game, 
you say, well, it's 7-1. Well, it's 4-1 after two. And the Jets, for the first seven minutes of that third period, were all over Colorado. You get a goal there at 4-2, and we've all seen and played the game and been involved in the game for a number of years to know that if you get it to 4-2, it's game on again. And it changes the complexion of the game. And Winnipeg had such a push. I think that's what's kind of removed and forgotten about the 7-1 loss is how they felt that they were still in it at 4-1 after 40 minutes. And if they get a goal there, well, you never know what's going to happen. Instead, the next Next goal goes to Colorado. It's 5-1. Then it's really over after that. And then yeah. they just add it on. And they end up with three power play goals. And total did the avalanche. And that line was hard to contain. But I think that overall, you're looking at the two wins, plus the way they played in spurts in Colorado. And for Winnipeg, let's face it. This isn't just something this year. They've struggled in playing in Denver the last number of years. It hasn't been a kind place to Winnipeg and others. And at the time that we do this podcast... On Monday afternoon, they have won 11 in a row at home. So they're beating everybody. But it just, I think, is important for us to look at a focal point of that third period and how if Winnipeg got a goal early on, it could have changed the complexion of how that game maybe ended. Yeah, and one more thing on that. Um, Just to talk about, you mentioned how it's 4-1 and how important that 4-2 goal is. You look at the game, the Colorado Avalanche and the Toronto Maple Leafs, which was that 11th victory. Toronto gets that 4-1 lead. Colorado gets that 4-2 goal. And then, like you said, it's game on. Ends up being Colorado winning that in overtime. Go ahead. Yeah, and I was just going to say, I said to both of you after that Colorado game, yeah, we lost 7-1, but it just didn't feel like, you know, the 7-1 loss that puts you down in the dumps and, you know, makes you, you know, skate the next practice, like, or you got to tear everything down. So, Like the one in Minnesota. Yes. That was that. Yeah. The one the other night in Colorado was not that type yeah. of game. I, I got on the plane, guys, and I, I didn't feel like they got pumped by six goals no. and that there was a lack of effort and compete because there was anything but that. Right. Yeah. And 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 so this transitions into what I was going to go into next before we get into your topic, Paulie, just some, some housekeeping stuff. Sure. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets, uh, Jansen Harkins, Dylan DeMello, and Arvid Holm in the COVID-19 protocol at this current moment. We were recording this on a Monday at about 10.30 in the morning. Uh, Matt Prefontaine, uh, the video coach of the Winnipeg Jets, also finds himself in that protocol as well. Uh, Jets PR tweeting out yesterday some transactions with the taxi squad and what have you. So from the Manitoba Moose to the taxi squad, you have Mikhail Burden, Vili Hainola, and Dylan Sandberg. And then uh, the following players have been reassigned to the taxi squad. Uh, Cole Perfetti, Christian Reichel, and CJ Cease. Now, things could change between now and the game on Thursday against the Detroit Red Wings. So uh, that's where we're at right now. Yeah, It's probably going to change. I bet you some of those names are probably playing in the game against Detroit. But with the way the salary cap works and all this, there has to be some juggling going on. And uh, the Winnipeg Jets are very good at that. That's what they're there for. And on the topic of COVID-19 and, and that game against Colorado, it also felt being there you know the team had just had a couple COVID cases it almost felt like and and maybe this is just from our perspective but I felt like there was a let's just get home and and get out of this road trip as unscathed as we can yeah so I think not that that played a factor in the game but I think that also contributed maybe just to the way the feeling was around the game let's get out of here like you know so anyway moving on uh like we talked about the Jets had a long week of practice prior to that uh 
that three-game road trip. Uh, there was lots of talk about what they were going to work on. Dave Lowry had a great opportunity to impart some of his wisdoms on the group. Uh, one of the big focuses was getting to the net and defending the net. Uh, Paul, what did you think the Winnipeg Jets did well that they had worked on in that week prior to the road trip? Well, you're right. I mean, the focus was getting more pucks and bodies to the net. And as I can paraphrase from what Dave Lowry said, that's the starting point. Everything starts in front of the goal. If you don't get there and if you don't get the puck there, you're never going to score a goal. So this is something that goes on and has for the last number of years in terms of the topics of conversation within the room and the areas of improvement that Paul Maurice was trying to impart on his team for a while. Dave's got a different voice. It's a different tone. So now there's a little bit more emphasis on it specifically in practice. So what we saw was a week-long practice situation since Boxing Day where the team was directly working on drills to get the puck to the net and getting bodies there. And then over and above that, there was battle drills. You know, you always see those battle drills at practice and they kind of start in the corner. Well, Dave actually took battle drills and after the puck went to the net, he had them battle in front of the goal. And that's where you're going to try to get puck possession for that second and third opportunity. So if you do this enough, it will become habitual and you won't even start thinking about where you need to be or how to battle. And that's eventually what they're going to have hope that in turn it becomes ingrained in them and then there's not a lot of thinking about it. And would you need to practice it? For sure, but it becomes second nature. So let's look at the games on that road trip. You get over 30 shots again against Vegas, you score five goals. You get almost 50 shots and score three goals against Arizona. Even in a 7-1 loss, you had 30 shots against Colorado. So that tells me that the puck is going and being funneled in the right direction toward the net. And it also tells me that you're getting some people there as well when you get five and three goals and then there's the one off against Colorado. So this will be a work in progress. It's not something that's just going to happen overnight. But Winnipeg needs to get to those dirty areas in front of the goal to score more goals. And especially, and you heard Paul Maurice talk about this over the years, and now Dave Lowry. The game does change the further that you get into the season, and then it changes again the further that you get into the playoffs. And those goals are harder to come by. But the teams that seem to be prepared mentally and physically to go to those areas will score more goals because they're willing to pay the price. Now, it might be construed as being easier to get there now because there's been a lot of talk about the cross-checking rule or the enforcement of the cross-checking rule. So if you're a forward going to the opposition front of the net, you're not going to be wearing the lumber like guys of the past used to have to do. And defensemen are now talking about different ways on how to defend and being there positionally first and then maybe getting somebody turned around or just making sure that you box out. So there's been a lot of talk about that. So this is interesting, how to defend with more traffic going to your net and also making sure that you're providing more traffic to the opposition's net. So it's quite interesting how things have evolved this year with the change in the one rule. But overall, I think that the Winnipeg Jets have done a better job, at least in the last week or so, of getting to the front of the net, practicing it, and then in practicality, trying to utilize that practice time in doing it and turning it into something where they can score more goals in front of the opposition net. And that should serve them well as they continue to vie for a playoff spot and maybe beyond. 
Lots of practice once again this week for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, they're off on Monday this week, but they'll continue practicing on Tuesday and Wednesday before they hop on the plane to Detroit. Then they'll head back, and uh, obviously the games this upcoming weekend, Ottawa and Edmonton, those were supposed to go on the 15th and 16th. Both have been postponed. So as it stands right now, the next Jets home game is against the Florida Panthers and the Vancouver Canucks. Still no word at all in terms of if there'll be fans in the building. So stay tuned to our social media channels for that. Uh, that'd probably be the best place that you'll find out what's going on. Uh, but uh, I'm sure all ticket reps will be in in uh, contact with everybody uh, who needs to be contacted. So uh, next Jets home game on the 25th against the Florida Panthers, which uh, should be a good one, but that's a ways away from now. Uh, Mitch, uh, we've talked about the game against Colorado at length, but uh, Cole Perfetti, uh, he made his uh, return to the lineup after spending a good chunk of time with the Manitoba Moose and then obviously the World Junior uh, stuff that happened at the end of December. Uh, maybe just a thought on his play. He was 10 minutes and 31 seconds on the ice, uh, two shots on goal. He had a hit, uh, spent some time on the power play, got bumped up in the lineup into the top six as well. Just your thoughts on the way he played a bit of a tough game to sort of make an evaluation on somebody in a 7-1 loss. We've talked about that enough. But just what did you think of his play in the in the limited role that we saw? Yeah, and I think that was always going to be the challenge. Uh, it's not like you're going right from the American Hockey League right into the, the National Hockey League. He spent some time with, with, obviously, Canada at the World Juniors, which even though it's, it's high-level junior hockey, probably the highest level of junior hockey that you can get, it's still not, you know, the same space and – I think Cole Perfetti said it's 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 a different game. Uh, the differences between that high level of junior hockey and and pro hockey alone is uh, is pretty stark. So um, obviously, I think the practices with the Winnipeg Jets were important for him to, as Dave Lowry said, get up to speed. Played against the Avalanche with CJ Cisa, who also was playing in his third uh, career NHL game in that one, and Dominic Toninato was also on his line. Uh, about an even split for that group when it came to scoring chances for and against. Um, but listen, like this, Cole Perfetti is an incredibly smart player on the ice. Even just listening to him speak to reporters, even, he's way smarter than I am. It's pretty evident. Um, no points in those three NHL games, but I think his career shows that once he makes an adjustment to the level that he's playing at, he, he becomes a lot to handle for the opposition. He's got 15 points in 17 games in the American Hockey League level this year great numbers for a 19 year old even though he's 20 now but uh he played a massive role at the world juniors obviously even though you know you compare the roles even from last year's tournament to this year's tournament he looked way more sure of himself and more confident in what he was able to do and obviously his the way he played on the power play for canada in those couple of games was uh you know i mean he's just you could just tell the power play ran through him it was you know he was the one dispersing it to all those all-stars so um I thought he played quite well in those couple of games. Now, we mentioned all the practice that the Winnipeg Jets have been having. He's been skating with Kyle Connor and Pierre-Luc Dubois for the last couple. That was Those were the two guys that he kind of saw a few shifts with against the Avalanche. Now, I think injuries and obviously COVID protocols and all that kind of stuff is going to dictate uh, what if that line itself holds when the Jets go to Detroit this week. But that will probably be the first look at Perfetti in a, in a, in a top six role consistently in the National Hockey League. So if that happens, I don't think we need to like heap a bunch of pressure on him and expect a three-point night, even though you know you, you think of those three players together and you're like, man, you know, a lot of great things can happen. But we can still be intrigued about it, and I know I am. So it's going to be interesting when he if he gets that opportunity against the Detroit Red Wings, a team that's got a lot of speed in their lineup as well. Um, but, I mean, 
he's just he's ever since he's been selected, he's been one of those guys who like I just can't wait to see him uh, at the National Hockey League level and on a consistent basis. So uh, we'll see what happens. But I mean, if for me, anyways, just as a fan of the game, him with Kyle Connor and Pierre Luc Dubois would be a real interesting line if that uh, line holds in Detroit this week. So far through the two practices that we've seen at Canada Life Centre since the Jets returned from the road trip, uh, Paul Stasny and Logan Stanley have been the two uh, omissions from the skates, uh, both dealing with some injuries at the moment. Uh, Dave Lowry listed them as day-to-day on Sunday. So uh, there is still a chance that you will see them in the red, white, and blue on Thursday in Detroit. Paul, you've been around hockey a long time and and hockey practices, minor hockey practices, and every level in between. Um, Just what have you seen from the practices in terms of how they would perhaps protect a team from getting caught in the ruts that a practice can get you into and not the game action kind of thing? Well, let's kind of give some perspective on the history of what we've experienced lately when it comes to these big sort of rest blocks that the Jets have had. And I go back to last year's playoffs. There was an eight-day break between the end of that series with Edmonton and the start of the series for the Jets against Montreal. And I remember Blake Wheeler coming out and saying, eight was a little too long. Five would have been perfect. Well, we wouldn't know. I mean, I would have to hold the captain's word at face value because he's a player and he knows. But I do believe that it did hurt the Jets to start that series with Montreal. And they got off to a bit of a bad start. And then, of course, the genie was out of the bottle and you just never recovered after that. So history will tell us and maybe the players that are carried over, and there are a number of them from last year to this year, that they can now handle these breaks a little bit better. And then so we get into that 14-day break and you go into Vegas and you start slowly and you're down to nothing. I'm pretty sure the coaching staff and the players knew that at that point, that wasn't a bad scenario to be in because they got their legs as that went along. Now, it's not going to be a 14-day break between the last game in Colorado and the next game in Detroit. It will be six. So can you handle that a little bit better? Of course you can because you know how you can maybe do things differently. And Dave has already talked about that, that being the interim head coach, Dave Lowry, that they just made, they need to make sure that they start on time was the quote. So when the puck drops in Detroit at Little Caesars Arena, just make sure that that first shift, second shift, third shift, and a couple rotations through are just with the energy that you need to start the game and maybe you carry that through. The other thing is you mentioned Tyler practice. So when you have these two practices that they had on the weekend since returning from Colorado, and then Monday is an off day, I think that strategically this is good because what's going to happen on Tuesday and Wednesday is you're going to have high-tempo skates. And the reason for that is the players will be pushed by the coaching staff a little bit more to get them back up to that pace so that you can play at that pace when the puck drops on Thursday night in Detroit. So, you know, you always have a plan. And as Paul Maurice used to say, you have a plan until the puck drops. But that's the plan. And I think if you don't have a plan going in for how you're going to accommodate something um, in an adverse situation, then you've not prepared yourself or your team. But I think the Jets are more prepared historically because they've had to handle this over the last little while. But also their coaching staff understands now what it might take for the team to have a better start in Detroit than they did against the Vegas Golden Knights after the 14 days. Overall, I think the team is learning to handle this a little bit better. 
speaking of plans, uh, you know, the NFL uh, playoff picture was set on Sunday night. We were talking about this off air. I'm sure lots of you listening are sports fans and know exactly what I'm talking about. The Chargers coach calling timeout and uh, essentially uh, throwing away a playoff spot uh, with the with the potential tie there. So uh, yeah, the plan did not work for the. Uh, Los Angeles Chargers. All right, uh, one more thing before we get to our guest with Jamie Thomas. Uh, just looking at the game summaries from the last two games, Mark Shifley, 83% on draws against the Colorado Avalanche and 78% uh, against the Arizona Coyotes. So the man is doing work in the face-off top right now. And uh, credit to Nate Thompson, I suppose, because that's where everything changed last year. So uh, anyway, over to our guest with Jamie Thomas. Enjoy. Shop where the players shop. Jetsgear and TrueNorthShop.com are your authentic team stores. Make sure to stock up on all your favorite Winnipeg Jets and Manitoba Moose merchandise today. Visit one of the five Jetsgear locations or shop online at TrueNorthShop.com. Hi, this is Brendan Dillon, and you're listening to Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. Please be joined by a good friend of mine, Chris Peters, uh, NHL draft prospects analyst, and daily faceoff, and hockey sense, a man that wears many hats, including the one that he's wearing right now. You can't see it, but he is wearing one. Chris, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Jamie, repping the Iowa State Cyclones today, uh, just for the viewers, for, for the listeners. Uh, pleasure. You never there. know just what you're on anymore. You never know yeah. if it's viewing or listening pleasure. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, it's, it's great to be with you as always. Um, let's talk Jets prospects as we move along here we'll get into the NHL draft here momentarily Chaz Lucius a first round pick last year for the Winnipeg Jets and you know a, a highly thought of prospect from your perspective and maybe another one of those things that kind of fell on the Jets lap he plays at university he's playing at University of Minnesota's first year in the NCAA how is his first year playing a different type of hockey going for him in your opinion well, it's gone well. I mean, the you know, the issue I think has been that he's had a couple of bouts of injury already um, this season as he did last year. Certainly nothing as significant as last year, which basically cost him almost the entire season. Um, but, you know, through 14 games, he's got seven, uh, 12.7 goals um, and he's shown all the skill and everything that, that you expect from him. Um, you know, I think the thing that he'll continue to need to work on is just upping his pace, continuing to get stronger in the lower body and being a little bit more explosive in terms of his, his skating. And, and, and that'll make him that much more effective. But I mean, he's got such incredibly quick hands. He's very skilled. Um, he was on the world junior team that, you know, of course ended prematurely, but you know, he, he worked his way into a pretty significant role there, drew some penalties, you know, he was, he was on, you know, getting, getting opportunities in special teams and things like that as well. Um, you know, but I think as, as Minnesota's season moves forward, guys like him only become that much more important. Um, Minnesota is likely going to lose a, a number of players to the U S Olympic team, um, which in that case, it's time for guys like Chaz to step up. And that's exactly what you want to see this early in his career is say, when you're called upon, can you make that next level? Can you get to that next level? I think that's going to be the real key for the second half of the season. But through through the first half, everything that I've seen from Chaz over the last three years of watching him closely um, has been there. So it's 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 been positive. And talking with Chaz recently, there's a connection there with the University of Minnesota because Jets captain Blake Wheeler, of course, played there and starred there for a very long time. Do you think that that kind of hangs over Chaz Lucius's shoulder a little bit that I know they're two different players, but there is a very good player that plays for the Winnipeg Jets now, and Chaz Lucius is coming up the, the vine a little bit. 
Yeah. You know, I think knowing, knowing Chaz a, a little bit, you know, I don't, I don't know him well, obviously, you know, we, we don't get to know the players as much in this right. era of just zoom conversations and everything else. But um, the little bit I know about him is I, I just, I don't think that that weighs on him as much. I think right. that he's the kind of player that, that is really focused on himself and, and on how he needs to get better. I think he's extremely competitive. So there's mm-hmm. certainly, I'm sure a, a bit of a, that, that carrot dangling. And, you know, when you go back to Blake's early college career, not very impressive in the early goings, it, it grew, it built. I mean, he was, and really the same thing kind of happened in his NHL career too. It took right. him a while to get to that level, but I think he's such a good model for, for that, that stick to it and you're, and it'll, it'll come to you, you know, and, I think Chaz, in the in the same way that you know Blake had the size, he had the skill, the speed. You know, Chaz has this skill, this in, this this incredible skill, and now he needs to develop some of the, the the other elements of his game. He needs to get physically stronger. He needs to become a little bit quicker. You know, so so the college game, I think, you know, seeing a guy like Blake Wheeler kind of play the long game, developmental wise, and become a top player in the NHL um, is a real good lesson for him to follow. Well, and certainly somebody that's had a very good career university college-wise in the United States is another one of the Jets draft picks. That's Nathan Smith, who's having an incredible season at Minnesota Mankato. He is. Um, You know, I think Hobie Baker caliber season from him, the way that he's played this year production-wise, he is among the top scorers in the country. Um, He's been a little bit banged up more recently, and he's going to miss time for the Olympics as well, which is probably going to knock him out of the Hobie Baker race. But the fact that he's going to the Winter Olympics is a pretty impressive thing. Um, it's not confirmed yet, but right. all of my reporting suggests that he will be on the team um, and that he will probably play a decent role. His his head coach, Mike Hastings, is one of the assistant coaches for the Olympic team with David Quinn, the former Rangers coach. But the thing that strikes me most about Nathan's game is when he was at the Cedar Rapids Rough Riders, which is the closest junior team to me, and I see them often. And so I became a big fan of Nathan Smith's as he was there just because I got to see him so much. And you see the skill. Um, What I've seen from him is his play away from the puck has vastly improved. His physical strength has vastly improved. He is so much tougher to play against, not just because he's skilled, but because he's hard to knock off the puck. He never quits on plays. Those are the types of things that he's developed in his game that weren't always there when he was with the Cedar Rapids Rough Riders and they were trying to work with him. His game away from the puck was was not good. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he was all skill and that was about it. Now we're seeing a much more well-rounded, mature Nathan Smith. And I, you know, that is why he's going to be an NHL player. I, I think that there was there was some doubt mm-hmm. if he doesn't get to that level. Could he be could he be an NHL player? He's gotten to that level and I think he's even surpassed expectations um, in how he's rounded out his game. And it, and it shows the value of going to a place like Minnesota state where there is such a defensive, you know, they, they never allow shots. I mean, it's, it's remarkable how they play. They, they suffocate teams. Um, you can't play unless you, you find that game away from the puck. And now he is not only that it, his offense hasn't suffered. That's remarkable to me. So what tremendous growth over these three years that he's been in college. That's a testament to Nathan and the coaching staff at Minnesota State, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the Mike Hastings, I think, is one of the best coaches in the country for a lot of different reasons. I mean, he's 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 made the most out of, you know, not having the best conference, the best, you know, the best, uh, you know, their facilities are fine. Everything is, you know, they, they have a lot of things, but they play in the CCHA, which is one of the weaker conferences. You know, they're not Minnesota. They're not they're not in the NCHA like Minnesota Duluth. 
but last year they competed for a national championship. They were in the frozen four and now they're, you know, they're as a program, they've gotten to a level where they, they are creating NHL players. They are making um, an impact in terms of playing for frozen fours and things like that and playing for national championships. But then every player that shows the kind of improvement that Nathan Smith, Smith has shown needs to take ownership of that because it doesn't come without a lot of work on the player's part. And certainly playing both ends, the 200 foot game, such an integral part of playing in the national hockey league, even for a finally offensively gifted player like Nathan Smith, you just touched on a little bit earlier about on the, on the world juniors and such a, no, I don't want to say tragedy, but it's unfortunate with, with what happened right. uh, in Alberta and how the tournament was postponed slash canceled. I don't know where we're at with that right now. What does that mean again for the 2022 NHL draft? I know scouts and GMs and, and, and organizations are used to this by now, but that is such an integral part of the, of the scouting calendar. Yeah. Having it last year was so important and not having it this year feels big to me, mm-hmm. um, you know, in terms of what it means for the season. And it's not just that we've lost the world juniors. It's that we're, you know, OHL games. You never know if you're actually going to have one. WHL has had a lot of postponements. The QMJHL isn't playing again until the 17th of January. So we are, we are losing opportunities to see these players and the players are losing opportunities to sustain any momentum or to build a season or to, you know, all these stops and starts have an impact on the players, not, not, and, and on the scouts. I think that because there will be other games, Scouts are going to be able to figure it out. They're still going to be able to have information. Everybody's working off of the same set of facts and data and everything else that we have with these players. So the playing field is still level. It's all about how you work it, how much you're taking advantage of a video, how much you're taking advantage of the analytical side of things, how much you can contextualize a type of season like this, where, you know, how this, how this has impacted players, like the players in Europe mostly have have been unfazed. Like, I mean, Russia has just plowed right through this whole thing going right. So, you know, you've got, those guys are still playing. It's been a little bit different in Sweden. There've been shutdowns, the same with Finland, you know, they've had teams that had to shut down and postpone games and everything else, but, you know, to lose the world juniors, which would have been, which we had last season where we could see, you know, just the, the remarkable performances of, of so many draft eligible players, but then also, you know, then there was for, for many of them, not all of them, a season after that um, was huge. But I mean, this, this year's world junior in particular had mm-hmm. a far higher number of, of draft eligible prospects. You know, you had multiples on Slovakia and multiples on uh, Finland and, you know, you're, you're seeing all in, in USA even, you know, so um, to not have that kind of a, as a, as a, just kind of a, a stopping point and in a, a place to reevaluate where players were from the first half of the season and kind of where they were going next. Um, it, it's certainly a, an unfortunate lost opportunity. Okay. Well, we are talking about the 2022 NHL draft. We're kind of at the mid season ranking point of the year. Where are prospects right now in your mind? What is this draft going to look like in July? Well, you know, I, I, I am very not sure. I right. you know, and that's that's all that's I a can fair say. Answer. Yeah, that's yeah, a fair exactly. Answer. Like the thing about it is, is you know, you look at you look at this draft class, and you say, and and a lot of these players I've seen multiple times live, and and have seen them at, at their various stops. But you're just like, you know, nobody's really separated themselves. I mean, even Shane Wright. Shane Wright's the the odds-on favorite to go number one. I don't think there's any doubt that that's still the case. But you know, anything after that is a complete. Scrabble. I mean, like, you know, you just look at, look at where you can look at all the public lists. You can look at, you know, everything you could talk to NHL teams and you can say, 
where, what is going to happen. And, and I don't think anybody really knows. And, you know, you look at guys, like if you do take the little tiny, tiny bit of the world juniors that we saw, you say, okay, well, Brad Lambert had two really good games. Um, they were against weaker opponents, but he had two really good games. He actually outplayed Joachim Kamel, who has been ahead of him on a lot of draft boards and was on the same team. Shane Wright didn't look as dominant in two games where there weren't a lot of, you know, there wasn't a ton of competition. So you're saying, okay, well that, you know, but that's only two games in, in a long season. You, you try to, you try to put that in the back of your mind. Same thing. Logan Cooley has been an outstanding this year for team USA. He's a guy that I think is probably a top three, top four prospect in this draft, but I feel like I might be in the minority in that, in that mm-hmm. opinion. Um, you know, so that's the other thing we've had Ivan Marashashenko, who we learned later had COVID this year. And he had struggled. He had struggled it and he didn't make Russia's junior team. And they, they said he wasn't in shape and we were trying to figure out what did that mean? And um, my good friend, Corey Bronman, I, I believe actually uh, was able to, to get to the bottom of it that, that, you know, he had gone through COVID and he wasn't fully recovered. And that's why he didn't make the world junior team. That's a really important piece of information when you're evaluating Ivan Marashashenko who had came into the season as, as my number two and, you know, has, kind of had a so-so year. So, um, you know, those are all important things that we have to kind of take into account. And that's why I think that it's not clear. Um, you know, like even NHL central scouting, normally their midseason draft rankings would be out by now. They're not. That's yet. Right. right. So, you know, like that's, that's a whole other thing. Um, and it's not, it's not that, you know, I, I think that's just indicative of where we're at now. Most NHL teams have had their scouting meetings or are having their scouting meetings this week or last week. Um, and, that's kind of their status report. And I think there's going to be a lot of conversation of it's too soon to say on a lot of guys, Um, you know, and the, and the other thing too, Jamie, that I think is important is, you know, especially when we talk about guys like Shane, Wright. Shane, Wright played five games last season, all at the world under 18 championship. That's it. That's all he played. Mm -hmm. And when you, you say, okay, well, here's this, here's this incredible player. I mean, he was dominant at that tournament. He had his whole season to build up to, to that tournament. Um, you know, his, his, his use, his U 17 season or his 16 year old season and sorry, 15 year old season in the it's OHL. All it's all was, yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Like what he did in that season, but now we're, he missed an entire year of hockey after that. It's like, what does that do to a top player? We don't really know yet. So um, this is, I I've said it like, I thought last year was hard. Honestly, I think this year's draft, harder than last mm-hmm. year's and we've had more games to, to pick from it's just it, there's there's so many factors that you have to take into account um and and i think we we're only just beginning to get to the bottom of it at this point at the beginning part of this interview i said you're wearing many hats <laughs> you do these interviews with us and take up time so i would like to for you to listen pass on to our listeners what are you doing now like i know hockey sense is a big part but you you had a recent kind of like a, a promotion right and tell us what that's sure. about yeah. So yeah, this season, obviously it's been a weird year. So it started, you know, I started the year at ESP, started 2021 at ESPN. And then that my contract was up in February. And then I was like on my own and trying to figure everything out. So I've been doing hockey sense on Substack, So hockey sense.substack.com, which is my subscri- subscription site where there's a lot of like in-depth, like if you're a hockey nerd, like it's going to get really specific. It's going to get mm-hmm. really, it is. it's going to, yeah, it's, it's yeah. basically, you know, I know there's a small audience for it and, and I'm trying to corner that small audience <laughs> and give them exactly what they want 
that's like super specific. And it's obviously a lot, you know, U.S. college hockey and things of that nature as well. Uh, but I'm also working for dailyfaceoff.com with Frank Saravalli. And um, that's been an, a remarkable experience so far working with Frank and, and the team there, Scott Burnside and Mike McKenna and all these, you know, really brilliant people that uh, are I, I've looked up to. And um, I do prospects. So I'll have like my draft rankings will be there, um, and which is nice because it's outside of a paywall. There's no paywall there for that. So I'm used to being behind the paywall. So I can't wait to get the uh, the angry comments that are going to come my way for my mock drafts and everything else and how big of an idiot I am. Um, uh, the, the paywall tends to keep that out sometimes. But um but yeah, but that'll be available there. And so I'm, I'm working there. And then I, you know, I also do betting content for Betway. I do, um, you know, broadcasting with uh, the local ECHL team, the Iowa Heartlanders. I just did a little stint with the Dubuque Fighting Saints. So I'm trying to basically, you know, if, if, if somebody asks me to do something at this point, I'm basically just saying yes and <laughs> dealing with the consequences later, which is like, maybe I won't sleep. Maybe I won't, you know, like, you know, maybe, maybe I got to skip lunch this day, you know, like, it's just kind of, it's crazy, but you know, the thing is what makes it nice is that, you know, this is what I'm passionate about. This is what I really love to do. And I've been so lucky that my entire professional career, except for like a 10 year stint where I was like, I'm probably in done. Um, <laughs> it has been in hockey. I mean, like my first job out of college was a, an internship with USA hockey. And then it's like, you know, so I've really only known the sport, you know, it's what I grew up loving, um, you know, from growing up in Chicago and just, you know, my dad really passing it on to me and, you know, to have been able to make it a career has been really, really incredible. So this last year has been difficult because I've had to try and do so many different things just to earn a living, but I'm doing it. I'm, I'm enjoying it. And, and so far I haven't collapsed. So um, that's the best part about it is that I, when you do something that you love, it kind of sustains, sustains you, even when you might have, you know, six or seven stories to write in a week or, you know, or you've got <laughs> four games in a day or something, you know, it's just it, whatever you got to do um, to stay in it. And that's pretty much what I've decided to do. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you for a sliver of your time on this date. <laughs> uh, I appreciate your time, my friend. Hey, my pleasure. Anytime, Jamie, always great to be with you. Winnipeg Jets fans, did you know that online 50-50 tickets presented by PlayNow.com are available for all Winnipeg Jets games? That's right. Whether the Jets play on the road or at home, you can participate in the game day 50-50 draw. The winner will take home half of the jackpot with all proceeds in support of the True North Youth Foundation. Remember to buy your tickets on all Jets game days at winnipegjets.com slash 50-50. Hold on, Tyler. Hold on. Da-da-da. Oh. Da-da-da. When news breaks out, we have some breaking news. Mitchell Clinton breaks in. Mitchell? Yes. What's the news? Well, the news is that the Winnipeg Jets PR account has just tweeted. We talked a little bit about COVID-19 protocols a little bit earlier in this episode, and another name's been added to it, and that is forward Nikolai Ehlers. <laughs> and that's exactly the sound effect that needs to be used for that. So obviously tough for the Winnipeg Jets that uh, Nikolai Ehlers is added to that. Um, so we'll obviously monitor how that goes over the next little bit. We got a new... Uh board that we off our podcast with and that was the first time i got to hit this button yeah that's the other button 
There we go. Yeah, so pretty exciting. You're going to have fun with this, aren't you? Uh, I think so. (laughs) All right, uh, into the next topic. Growing and learning center here. (laughs) It's Monday. The offices are work from home. No one's here, so they're just letting us have rule of the roost. Uh, All right, Uh, the week ahead. Uh, The Detroit Red Wings are the only game this week for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, Mitchell, you mentioned earlier this team has a lot of speed. Tell me about it. Well, clearly, if you're the Winnipeg Jets, you pour absolutely everything you have. You mentioned the NFL a little bit earlier. This is it almost feels like an NFL schedule. Practice for the week, get ready to go, and then you play your one game. Um, as we tape this podcast, Detroit's 16, 16, and 3, uh, but winless in their last two due to losses against L.A. in regulation, and then they lost to Anaheim in overtime. Since the Jets played Colorado, Detroit will have actually played three times before they meet the Jets on Thursday. So, they have a matchup with the Sharks uh, in San Jose on Tuesday due to do the Red Wings. Uh, then they make the long travel back to Detroit. And we often hear the Jets talk about time zones and, you know, getting back on the central time. Detroit's going to be coming from Pacific to Eastern. Uh, so that's going to be something that the Winnipeg Jets, if they can get the start that Paul Edmonds kind of talked about and get their legs going early, you know, that might be a, an opportunity for them uh, in that one single game this week against the Red Wings. Now, I mentioned the speed. Detroit's been led up front by Dylan Larkin, who, I mean, one of the fastest players in the National Hockey League. He's averaging a point per game this season. But I'm looking forward in this game to seeing a couple of rookies, that being Lucas Raymond, who's got 30 points already this season, and Moritz Sider, a rookie defenseman with 23 points already this year. So those are two names that, we, I mean, we've heard their names at the draft. Uh, I remember... The draft that uh, Moritz Sider was taken, everybody's like, all right, you know, who's Detroit going to take? They've been looking at this kid, and it was thought to be maybe a touch bit of a reach at that point, but, I mean, Sider has just I proven. I love that. Yeah. Like, I love when you, they just get absolutely torn apart for a draft pick yeah. that people have no business tearing <laughs> you apart for. Like, just wait and see. Yeah, and now look, you know, just a, a fantastic selection it's looking like by the Red Wings. So, yeah, Lucas Raymond, Moritz Sider, two guys that I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing. But obviously, you know, if you're the Winnipeg Jets, you're going in uh, into Detroit, You, especially with uh, the Michigan folks uh, on your roster, uh, the Jets will be looking to, to take two points out of Little Caesars Arena. Looking ahead down the schedule, uh, the Jets games after the Detroit uh, – Series, series, it's one game. They come home for a few days and then head back out on the road on the Monday uh, for a Tuesday tilt uh, against the Washington Capitals. And then a day later, two days later, uh, Nashville Predators skip another two days, Boston Bruins, and then a Sunday matinee in Pittsburgh. And hopefully Pittsburgh had, has lost by then. Uh, <laughs> they they're, on a, they're on a heater right now. That's a strange team, right? This one, you strange. think it's over for them and... They're going to now kind of wallow down and be kind of below that playoff line for a few years. And then you wonder about the history and the the continuation of Sidney Crosby. Here they are. They're rattling off all these wins and back into the top of the league. And again, they're looking like the the Sidney Crosby Pittsburgh Penguins of 2009. So it's just strange to me. That's just a strange team in a good way. You just don't know what you're going to get, but they just keep finding ways to win. It kind of reminds me of the Chicago Blackhawks in a way. You know, they win all those cups and and they have the Taves, the Kane, the Keith, the Seabrooks, and and what have you. And, And then they just sort of fell off, as it happens in hockey. But like you said, like, you know, Crosby, Malkin, although he's not been playing, they, they just get contributions from so many randoms uh, that end up being 
game breakers for them. So, uh, last topic on the schedule here, Paul Edmonds. Special teams, uh, the performance on the power play and the penalty kill. The power play uh, scored in all three road games, uh, albeit uh, it was kind of a, a non-sequential, uh, I suppose, in that Colorado game being a 7-1-er. But uh, they go 1-for-5 uh, against Colorado, 1-for-4 against Arizona, and one for three against the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, the penalty kill uh, was a perfect uh, three for three through Arizona and Vegas, but uh, they only went one for four against the Colorado Avalanche. But overall, I'd say the penalty kill has, I don't want to say become a strength of the Winnipeg Jets, but has definitely not been their Achilles heel like it was earlier in the year. So maybe just a thought on the special teams and how things have gone over the last month or so. Well, I think specifically the power play has been okay, and the penalty kill will continue to be a work in progress. So just to give you some perspective, when teams are going well on the specialty teams, the total number of the combined percentages of both should be 100 or over. So if you kind of take that number and, and believe in that theory, going into the Colorado game, Winnipeg was at 93%. 72 on the penalty kill and 21 on the power play. So they have some work to do there. There's no question about it. But the power play was 12th overall in the league. And now it has scored in five straight games. So, I mean, they're producing with the tweaks that have been made. And we talked about, you know, getting more net front coverage and battle drills and things that Dave's kind of done in a short period of time. Well, the other thing is that he's moved Kyle Connor and, Mark Shifley to the flanks, and he wants them to shoot the puck more with one-timers, and it seems to be working. You can't just kind of clue into what's going on. Okay, we're going to kind of shade over to Ward Patrick Line's side anymore, right? You have Neil Pionk, who seems to be able to determine when he needs to shoot the puck and when he needs to distribute the puck. And when you've got the puck movement and a big bowl down low like Pierre-Luc Dubois has been on that goal line, this power play seems to be clicking, and then you get the second unit that has a bit of a different look as well with the two defensemen. So I like it overall, the power play, and the results speak for themselves with goals in five straight. And going into that game, that power play was operating at about 31% over the course of the games that they had scored four straight in. So... Not too much, I think, that we can criticize on the power play. In fact, I would applaud what has gone on there because it should be good with the players that the Jets have, the offensive skill, the ability to shoot the puck. And let's not forget, Kyle Connor shoots the puck as as well as anybody, and so does Mark Shifley. So with those guys there, there's some weapons and there are some options, and that's what you want with your power play. The penalty kill had been very good leading up to the game against Colorado. In seven games, it was 16 of 17, operating at 94%. Paul Maurice had said from the start of the year when it got blitzkrieged for a number of goals over the course of the first handful of games that it might never climb back because it just got so skewed. But they started to climb back. They got back to 72%. Now, that's not where you want to be, but it's certainly better than when it was 66% or 64%. And it climbed to, you know, out of the basement at 32, 31, 30. It was around 29th overall in the league, and you could see it trending to get better. Now, it gets ripped for three goals in Colorado, and again, we've explained who's not getting ripped in Colorado right now when it comes to giving up goals. So am I saying that the solutions have been provided and the penalty kill is well on its way to being much better? Not necessarily. Again, there's still some work to go here. And you're also, you're missing like a penalty kill defenseman in Dylan DeMello, a shot blocker there as well. So 
there's some changes and some volatility in your lineup. But I think overall, if Winnipeg can improve their penalty kill and get it to a number that's 75, 76, 77%, considering where it started from, they'll be very happy because then you know that it's probably clicking overall in your last five or 10 game block at something that's a little bit more, I guess, respectable in the 80 to 85% mark where you want it to be. So the numbers are all going to jive here. I don't know if you want to make too many tweaks to your your penalty kill. I don't know that you can do anything different other than they have certainly boxed up very nicely in their own zone, but I also like the aggressiveness and the stand at their own line on those entries by the power play on the other side. Also, sometimes when there's been the bobbled puck, they have pursued it with some zeal and got after it aggressively, and I really like that. I think that there is a... There's a power play there somewhere in the middle of that passive-aggressive nature that Winnipeg's trying to work on, and it might just take a little bit longer. The other thing that I've talked about before in the air, and I'll reiterate here, guys, is my last point on the penalty kill. You lost some really good penalty kill people last year in Nate Thompson, Trevor Lewis, Mason Appleton was another guy. So now you're trying to work some other players into your stable. And now they've got back to Paul Stasty, who was penalty killing as well. He wasn't available in the game against Colorado. You've also had Blake Wheeler in a penalty kill role. He hasn't been with the team for a number of weeks because of that knee injury that he suffered in Vancouver. So you've had some key guys out. So it's still a work in progress. It's going to take a while. I don't know that we're ever going to say throughout this, this season, guys, that the penalty kill has been great or it is good but it had been better of late prior to giving up three goals against Colorado. Let's see what it does here going into Detroit and further after that. This has been Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. On behalf of myself, Tyler Esquivel, 680 CJOB's Paul Edmonds, and Jets TV's Mitchell Clinton. Have yourself a wonderful week, and you'll hear from us again next week. Go Jets, go. This has been Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets, hosted by Jets TV. For Jets news, videos, and more, head to winnipegjets.com. Proceed with Abel.